following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we can't wait for that day when this clouds roll back like a scroll and we see our Savior uh, returning for his church. Uh, we can't wait. But Lord, in, until that time, uh, we uh, just ask for your help to be faithful uh, to what you have called us to do. And we thank you, Lord, for your word that shows us clearly what we should be doing and how we should be living. So Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret it for us and that we would not only sense your presence, but your instruction from your word. We thank you for this great gift that the Bible is to us. We pray that you would use this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week we started a study on the armor of God. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6, you can uh, turn there if you'd like. It's page 979 in the Pew Bibles. And uh, Samuel will put it up on the screen as well. Uh, we focused last week on the, uh, the pieces of the armor of God that have already been placed on the believer. Um, believers in Jesus, when they place their trust in Him and were saved. Uh, we talk about the belt or the girdle of truth fastened around our waist, girding our loins with the truth. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Well, that was last week. This week, I want to start looking at the pieces of the armor of God that we're instructed to take up. Um, and we're going to begin with the shield of faith. Um, so let's look at the whole text together. We're going to look at Ephesians uh, 6. And I'm going to read from 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take up the whole, uh, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Can we stop there for now? Um, a verse... 11 and 13 both instruct believers in Jesus to take up the whole armor of God um, which 
makes me think that uh, it's possible, maybe, albeit ill-advised, that uh, we can neglect pieces of God's armor. When we come to faith in Jesus, God puts those uh, first three pieces on us already. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes that come from the readiness of the gospel of peace. But these other three pieces, we have the responsibility to take up. How do you know that's true? Because God's word tells us to do it. Right? You wouldn't say take up if you couldn't not take it up. Okay? It's usually, I, I want to tell you a secret. You can be a successful Bible student if you realize texts are usually pretty clear. You don't have to go through Renaissance paintings to find secret codes that unlock Scripture. It's very clear right in front of you. So I believe that it is possible to neglect those pieces of God's armor that are not placed on us at the time of our salvation. The belt of truth is fastened around our waists. The breastplate of righteousness is put on us, and our feet are equipped with the readiness of the gospel of, fe- gospel of peace. But the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit are ours to take up. Now, I don't remember if I said it last week or not. Pretty good chance you don't remember either. Um, <laughs> that uh, um, all of these different pieces of armor all represent Christ himself. When we, when we come to faith in Christ, we put on Christ. Right, as Galatians 3.27 puts it, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Right, and all these pieces are, are similar to that thought, that they represent Christ that we put on when we come to faith. And not only when we come to faith, but as we live. Christ is the truth that we gird our loins with. Christ is the righteousness of God that covers our hearts like a breastplate. Christ is the boots for our feet that make us ready for battle uh, because through him we have peace with God through the gospel. But those are the pieces already in place for believer. What about the other pieces? We get those ones when we come to faith in Jesus. What about the rest? So today, because I want to make sure we stretch this out as long as possible, we're just going to talk about the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Verse 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I hear these words. I'm really glad you can't read along because I can't understand the words that come out of my mouth. Flaming dart, darts. <laughs> darts. I guess it, maybe you understand when I say it that way. Darts. Flaming dots of the evil one. <laughs> I don't think I could do priest like that keep a straight face, so I'm I'll let that go. <laughs> All right. Well, now let's think about this. As far as the actual shield itself the, uh, that Paul had in mind when he wrote this, there's only one physical characteristic that is important. 
Again, we don't want to get bogged down in the minutia of these things. There's only one physical characteristic of a shield that is important. Now, our friends in the armor of God paraphernalia business, um, they get this wrong about half the time. Uh, even the picture I printed out for kids to color last week, it's uh, not right. It's a pale, not even a pale, it's a misrepresentation of the shield of faith. What our friends in the marketing industry like to do is uh, they, they illustrate the armor of God with the armor of an English knight. Now, you see a problem with that. Um, Paul is riding from Turkey, uh, not England, right? Never been there. No English knights exist in the first century. They're, they're like a millennia later, okay? Um, but when the problem with that, that's really irrelevant. But what the problem is when an English knight is used to represent to, or to illustrate this armor, think about the shield of a knight. Right? It's so big, right? It's too small. The thing about the knight's sword is too big. Uh, these are not the instruments that Paul had in mind when he wrote these things. You have to remember, Paul wrote this letter from prison, right? He's probably chained to one of these guys. I mean, these Roman soldiers are not unfamiliar. Um, it's pretty easy to pick out an illustration when you're chained to one. The shield that Paul described in Ephesians is not a, a buckler shield. It's not one of these small round shields that's buckled directly to the arm of the warrior. Uh, it's not that. You don't hide behind that. It's not the shield of the English knight that's only big enough to cover his chest and loins. Paul pictured the Roman scutum. That's your word for it. It's a massive shield. It's uh, sometimes it's square and sometimes it's oblong, but it's roughly two to two and a half feet wide and four feet long, and up to a hand's breadth thick. Um, so why is that important? Because the most important physical aspect, physical characteristic of the shield of faith that Paul had in mind is that it's massive. It's huge. This is like a door that you can hide behind, right? And this is a huge, not little wimpy thing, right? It's huge. In all circumstances, we have available to us a massive shield to pick up and cover up and extinguish the flaming dats of the evil one. That shield is our faith. It's huge, not small. Well, a word faith, a thing, has become um, a bit of a junk drawer expression. Lots of people mean lots of different things when they say faith uh, and think of that word. It means all kinds of different things. But biblically speaking, there are only two kinds of faith and they're not unrelated um, they can be separated they're like uh, two sides of the same coin or two facets of the same jewel the first type of faith is saving faith 
this is what is considered belief, right? Uh, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, right? This is the belief in the Lord Jesus, and we are saved. Okay? Makes sense? Like it says in Hebrews 11:6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you want a good chapter to read on faith, I recommend Hebrews 11. A great, uh, great chapter on faith. I think that's funny. I think the author of Hebrews has a sense of humor. He says, it's impossible to please God unless you believe he exists. Well, duh. <laughs> but uh, this, is, uh, this is kind of what we're dealing with. Sometimes we have to deal with the duh, right? Um, um, when Paul and Silas were miraculously rescued from prison by an earthquake in Acts 16, uh, they spoke to their jailer about saving faith. There's an earthquake and the jailer thinks that all his prisoners ex- escaped, so he drew his sword. He's going to kill himself because he figures if he doesn't do it, somebody else is going to because all of his, uh, his prisoners escaped. Let me read uh, Acts 16, 29 and 33. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He thought they were gone. They said, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The word they use, believe in, the Greek word pistis, you can impress your friends with all the Greek words you're learning today. That word is the same word used in Scripture for faith. All the way through the New Testament, it's the same word. If it says believe in, it says faith, it's the same Greek word. It's just English. you got 15 words for the same thing. Jesus said in John 14, 1, Believe in God. Believe also in me. You've heard this before. He said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in or has faith in him, pistis, the same word, that person should not perish but have eternal life. But there's only one side of the coin. Faith is more than just believing facts. It's more than just believing the truth. It's trusting whom we believe in. This is the type of faith that Paul had in mind when he wrote, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now remember, we talk about the piece of armor that are placed on us when we come to faith in Christ. How can we take up it, take it up again? We have faith in Christ. We get belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness and and cool new sneakers, right? How do we take up more faith? What is a different kind of faith? It's not just belief, but it's trust. 
We don't extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one with our belief alone, but with our trust in the Lord. We trust in what God has said. We trust that what he has said is true, which is the only way to put out the flames of the devil's lies, because lies are all the devil has. You want to know what the flaming darts of the evil one are? That's all it is. It's just lies. Lies to you about what is true. Lies to you about what other people think. Lies to you about why temptation or why sinning is better than not sinning. That's all it is. It's lies. John is, uh, Jesus said in John 8:44. I think we said this last week. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You think about it. Every temptation to sin is based on a lie. Believing that we're somehow better off disobeying. Better off betraying our father. Every discouragement and depression is based on lies. Because we believe somehow that God does not love us. Or that he could never be concerned with someone like us. That he could never forgive us for what we have done or for the kind of person we are. Those are lies. That's not true. What the devil wants most is for us to forsake our trust in the Lord. To forget the truth of of what God says about us and what God says about himself in the Bible. So that we take those fiery darts right in the chest. That's what he wants. Because that's the only way they can get through is when we drop that shield of faith. When we forget what is true. Now there's only two ways that this can happen. We believe the devil's lies because either we don't know the truth in the first place. So we can't tell the difference. Or we believe the devil's lies because we don't care what the truth is. And we prefer the lies. Now, we don't know the truth because we don't know God's word, right? God's word is the truth. Reading and knowing scripture is the strongest support for our faith that we can get. How do you know what you believe? It's written down in the book. You can't believe it until you know what it is. Doesn't that make sense? This is like the duh back in Hebrews, isn't it? All right. Artist story about a fellow who was a youth pastor and... uh, had a student graduated going to college and he was challenged in a class or something. And, uh, and he called his youth pastor and he told him the circumstance and he says, well, tell me, pastor, what do I believe about this? Well, that's a great question. What does the Bible say? Well, I don't know. Maybe we should find out. <laughs> right? This is, this is really elementary. But honestly, is it not the most easy to neglect I mean, the Bible is really big. It's full of words. Not a lot of, you know, pictures and stuff. It's hard. I don't like to read. It's hard, right? But that doesn't matter. Reading and knowing Scripture is the strongest support for faith that we can get. We must get into God's Word and into it daily so that we can know what's in there and know what we believe. I don't think that we have to be intimidated because the book is so big. 
and, uh, or, or we don't know where to start. If that's you, it's not necessary for you to stay in that place anymore because uh, we have resources available to us. But you want a Bible reading plan? You want a, you want a track to follow? I can give you a hundred of them. They're, they're out there. We, I print them out for you today if you want. We can do that. So there's no reason to say, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do if that's what you want. Or if, if it's, I don't want to like exercise pastoral authority this way. But so it, uh, I'll give it to Peg and Peg can tell you what to do, right? So then we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> we have strategies here, strategies, right? We have all kinds of plans. If you've never read the Bible before and don't know where to start and just you don't want to worry about to read the Bible in a year or New Testament in six months or whatever, uh, you can look in the table of contents, look for a book of Luke. Luke talked all about Jesus, which is a great place to start when it comes to reading Scripture. All right? I, when the people say, I, if they have a brand new Bible and never opened it before, that's, I say start with the book of Luke. It starts with Christmas, which is nice. Right? It's a familiar to most people. And a follow-up by the book of Acts. Luke and Acts. They're both written by the same guy, so that makes it easy. Uh, the style is, uh, style is the same. And the subject matter of these two books is of utmost importance. What Jesus began to do and teach and what he continued to do and teach through the church. That's, that's Luke and Acts. When you get through those, and uh, um, there's more. There's uh, 64 more books you can read. You know, and I pick on the, the people who put the, all the numbers in there sometimes. Those numbers are there to help. You know, I'm, I'm, not to, I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, you know, you should be like me and read 75 chapters every day, you know, and spend hours pouring over this. You want to do that. That's wonderful. I don't do that. I read one chapter in the morning when I first opened my eyes and read one chapter. And I pick books where the chapters are really short. Right? Not Psalm 119. I'll be laying there forever. But, right? Right? Uh, It's, it is the easiest thing and the easiest thing for us to neglect to lay that shield down. A chapter a day is the very least we can do to make sure you're constantly filling yourself with the truth. And we must know the truth. The content of our faith. We must know it in order to hold up that shield. And secondly, we must care about the truth in order to quench the devil's flaming darts. If we don't care what the truth is, if we don't care what God has to say about how we are to live while we're waiting for his return, we're going to take those arrows to the chest. And we're not just get poked, we get burned. This is the difference between faith and what the scholars call intellectual assent. Intellectual assent is merely agreeing with the facts in your head. Like, was George Washington the first president of the United States? Yes, I believe that's true. Wow. Big deal. If you didn't know that, it wouldn't make any difference, right? Not a lot. Faith is not merely intellectual assent. Intellectual sin is not trusting those things to be true. It's, it's, it's not trusting in the person in whom you supposedly believe. 
my agreement with the fact that George Washington lived didn't make... I don't have to trust in that. The two-sided coin of faith is on the one side, saving faith. Trust in the Lord with your past. That's a saving faith. Trust in the Lord has taken your sin upon His shoulders on the cross. Right? That He died in your place. Taking care of the past. And on the other side is living faith. Living faith is trusting the Lord with your present and with your future. What Hebrews 11 calls the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen. Uh, when the Jesus said, when they talk about the scars in the Jesus' hands and side and feet, when uh, Thomas, when the Jesus was resurrected, the disciple, the apostle Thomas, he said, I won't believe until I see the holes in his hand and put my hand in his side. And when Jesus appeared and he, he showed his hands, he says, look, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, his true confession of faith. And Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know who Jesus was talking about? That's us. We made the cut. We're in the Bible, right? It's this faith, this trust, that like a shield covers the warrior and stops the flaming arrows of the enemy. It covers the Christian and puts out the fire of the devil's lies with the truth. That's how we combat the enemy. That's what the shield of faith is. It's trusting the truth. And we should not neglect it. We should not leave ourselves open to the lies of the enemy. But in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for loving us enough to die in our place on a cross, to take our sin upon your shoulders, And I pray, Lord, uh, that everyone gathered here today would accept that truth, that they would believe that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Savior, and their past sin is dealt with, and the future sin is dealt with. And, Lord, for those of us who do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and is now at your right hand, I pray that it would go beyond what we think is true, but that our trust would be in you with our present and our future, that we look to your word for how you want us to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would learn and grow to be more like him, that our faith would be what protects us, I pray, Lord, that we would all dig into the truth that is your word so that we may shield ourselves with what we trust, that we can trust what you have said. Lord, I pray that you would interpret this word, that it would sink deep in our hearts and that we wouldn't forget, but that would change us 
and, and, and deepen our faith, deepen our trust, deepen our time in your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your love for us and for your great gifts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.